and if you didn't get one of these books yet or you don't have one, I've got two left. And uh, Josh, why don't you grab one? Norman's got his hand up. So someone else besides Norman. Who else needs one? All right. And and Jody. Jody. Uh, so Habakkuk is where we're going. And uh, it's towards the end of the New Testament. Nahum, Habakkuk. I know it's in there. I saw it earlier today. Hopefully I can find it, but uh, here we are in this little book of three chapters long, and we're going to look at something tonight as we finish this book, and then next week, of course, we'll have our guest preacher with us, and then we'll start on something completely different on Wednesday nights after that, the following week. But here we have for the 13th and final lesson, we have, can we have revival? And of course, just as we get ready to start a special meeting, this is is the good time to end this, and uh, so can we have revival and uh, the, the background here, Habakkuk, I'm not going to read all three chapters completely, although it is a short book. But the burden, verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Habakkuk was brokenhearted. Uh, he was devastated. You see, his nation had pretty much turned their back against God and the word of God. They were no longer doing <coughs> and behaving as they should. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been dispersed and Judah didn't seem to learn their lesson very well. And so they were on the verge of Babylon, the Chaldeans and Nebuchadnezzar coming in and pretty much wiping them out. So when you read like Daniel, Daniel would have been alive during this time. This would have been the time of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're about to lose everything and and the Babylonians are going to come in and take over and they'll no longer be uh, considered... Jewish people, they'll be Jewish Babylonians, basically. They'll be, uh, they'll be uh, under a new kingdom. And Habakkuk is devastated at what he's seeing about to happen. And I think that the time will come in the near future when we'll see this kind of thing happen in our world, where the globalist agenda and the globalists uh, and the new world order and that sort of thing will take over. And what we call the, the, the red, white, and blue will, uh, will collapse if, and I'm not saying I want it to happen, but I think that it will happen. And I think, I think that's the reason why you don't read a whole lot about America in prophecies because she isn't there. And uh, I, I'm not the only one that says that, but I, I, I think that's we have to be, be realistic about some things and we see the way things are going. doesn't mean I want it to happen in my lifetime, and we certainly should do what we can. However, Habakkuk was that kind of person, but he could see the handwriting on the wall. He knew what was happening. He could see it, and his heart is burdened. His, his, his heart is burdened for what he could see coming down the pike. And so here on page 53, we start, if the Christian people could have only one prayer answered, what should they ask from the Lord? If you could only ask for one thing, what would it be? Uh, we should pray for something called revival. In chapter 3 and verse number 2, It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Revival. Uh, Revival comes, and when it comes, everything else we need will come with it. Everything that is good and was good for us will come with it. Uh, We should pray for, then, a revival. Revival does not necessarily mean more people will be in church, but that we will be different. We will be uh, closer to the Lord than we ever have been, and then God will move. And I think when that happens, more people do get saved, and more things happen, more good things happen. When revival takes place, it's kind of like rototilling the land and uh, digging up the hard hearts and the hard ground, and, and then the rain comes, and, and there's pr- productivity again. And so that is what revival is. If you can think of it as springtime and the, 
and the, the working of the soil and, and uh, reviving what used to be. God's word reveals to us some powerful truths about revival in this book of Habakkuk. The prophet prayed, as I just read, O Lord, revive thy work. A revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. And, and I was talking to the kids about the book of Judges tonight. And if you read the book of Judges, it just goes in a cycle where they they get into idolatry and they get away from God and so then God has to allow them to get into bondage and then from bondage they pray and ask God for deliverance and then with deliverance they get some rest but then pretty soon they get off into idolatry again and so then they get into bondage again and so it just repeats the cycle and so revival is just a new beginning of obedience to God it's it's recognizing that we're not really right with God in some area our heart has become hard and uh, we really don't care if our neighbor dies and goes to hell it's not that big of a deal we got things to do and uh, we just become hardened and callous towards others and hardened and callous towards uh, sin in our life and we we don't mind it being there and it's not bothering us and we think we're okay and and uh, and so we just we just start to become stale stagnant and dead as we consider the subject of revival we cannot present some sort of equation that if it if it's followed it'll bring about revival in other words it's not like a formula even though we're bringing in a a good preacher in this week that doesn't make revival happen (coughs) it's more than just the stating of facts it's the touch of god and the work of god we need to realize that our god desires to send revival i don't know if you heard it but in the letter last sunday that was from ray martinez and ron had read that letter you know, they're having somewhat of a revival there. I mean, they're seeing some things happening that they haven't seen for years, and, and uh, it's because they have a man of God who's preaching the word of God. And Did you hear what he said he, as he read the letter? The people got up, and one of them started confessing something that they had done wrong. And you know what that did? That sparked someone else to stand up and confess something that they were doing wrong, and they started asking each other for forgiveness. Because usually when churches are not are not on fire for the Lord, they usually start fighting amongst themselves. And so then there becomes a need for forgiveness and repentance and, and restoration amongst themselves. And so God can't work among Christians that are uh, being petty and carnal. And so uh, that's what you hear in that letter as it was being read. You start to hear some revival of some things happening. And uh, we need to understand that it's not just a formula. It's really just the touch of God, the work of God. And so if you feel God working in your heart, and you feel God working on your life, you, you need to understand, maybe God's starting the revival with you, and maybe God wants you to, to, to just do what he'd have you to do, and it might be embarrassing, it might be awkward, but it might be the beginning of something uh, wonderful as it con- continues to go forward. I've heard of other churches like this, just like the one he was reading about. It's not just Native Americans. I heard about a church in Wyoming several years ago where the same thing happened, where one person finally got right with the Lord, and it was like a domino effect, and all of a sudden everybody else started to take care of things that they had uh, in their life as well. But usually what happens is is that we all say, well, I'm not getting right. I mean, if he's not getting right, I don't have to get And all of a sudden you see the worst guy in the room get right with God. It makes you say, wait a minute, I got no excuse anymore. As long as he was sinning worse than I was, I had a pretty good excuse. But now he's right with God. Now what do I look like? And, and that's, that's what revival does is it causes... It causes a domino effect, and pretty soon it starts to spread to your neighbor, and it spreads to your coworker, and that's why it's a wonderful thing. And we ought not be afraid of embarrassment or something <coughs> that humbles us, because that's usually how revival happens. And so Habakkuk's name means one who embraces, and he was a man who got a hold of God and hugged God and embraced God. He knew that judgment of God was coming upon his people. He could see it in the nation of Judah. So let's consider what we find as we, as this prophet prayed for God to send revival. Let's think about 
what God uh, would have for us tonight. And so here we have Habakkuk, and again, the passage in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. <coughs> Habakkuk was not telling God <coughs> that he was making a mistake. I think Habakkuk understood that they deserved a big spanking, and they deserved some things that were going to happen. But he was just asking God, remember mercy, and God did. By the way, God did it in a way that Habakkuk wasn't really necessarily thinking. God allowed Babylonians to come in, but God knew that the book of Daniel needed to get written and that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed to go, go into the fiery furnace so that a king could get saved and that, and that Nebuchadnezzar needed to find out about God. And, and, and God, God used all of it, and, and, and yet God restored them as well later on. And so... Yet we see the burden in the, in the prayer request of Habakkuk. So number one, a man with a burden. The burden which the prophet did see. It was, this was not a burden that he had. He wasn't necessarily carrying it as much as he was seeing it. It probably was just heavy on his heart. And it was something he saw. It was a desire for God to intervene. And uh, at, at, at the end of everything else, we have to recognize God's got to intervene. Now when it comes to my children, when they were younger especially, I could intervene. You know, if my children weren't behaving, I could intervene. If there's something, you know, that I could physically, manually manipulate and intervene. But you know what? Most things in our life, we just can't manipulate. We can't grab a hold of it with our hands and make it happen. And that's what prayer is all about. Because we need God to do what we can't do. We need God to do the work we can't do. And so we must realize our, our sufficiency is really not of ourselves. And so unless God intervenes, there's no hope. If all we do is have a little service and have a little meeting <coughs> and we just do what we can do without praying and asking God to intervene and do the miraculous, it, it isn't, it isn't going to happen if we're just relying on our own strength. And so Habakkuk is crying out to God because there is no one else that can help. So we see here then a vision of a holy God. In chapter 1 and verse 12, he talks about the Babylonians and what kind of people they are and, and how scary they are and what, what's about to happen. In verse 12 it says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He sees a holy God and he appeals and rec recognizes that God is holy. If there's one thing that will help you to get revival... It's to stop and look at God. With your finger in Habakkuk, I would like you to go to Isaiah chapter 6, just a few pages back, a few books back. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1. Here's another man that was not far from the same time frame as Habakkuk, <clears throat> maybe a few years earlier than Habakkuk. But Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple Above it stood the seraphim, each one having six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another say, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then... When I saw this, then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which had taken 
the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. He, he prayed and said, God, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and here I am in the presence of God who is holy. And I'm telling you right now, part of our problem is, is we just don't realize that we're in the presence of God and that God sees everything. Thou, God, seest me, the Bible says. How can we act like he doesn't see us? He sees everything about us, and he is holy. And his holiness should make us repent by itself just to think about how clean and holy he is. And I know for a fact that when I see Jesus and I see God face to face for the first time ever, my inclination will be to be on my face. I can't imagine that I would stand there standing <coughs> as if it was just casual. He is holy, and in his presence, we have no other choice but to bow before him and recognize him as holy and us as not. And so in his presence, in the holy presence of God, we, we have to come clean. This is why I think when revival really starts to take place, it starts with us personally, individually where an individual realizes there's stuff in my life that isn't right. There's sin that God's revealing to me. It's not unusual for people to go home and to pull out the garbage can and to start throwing some things away that just shouldn't be in the house. And making change, why? Because a holy God wants our undivided attention and a holy God can't be in the presence of sin. Sin's got to go. And let's be honest, I'm, I'm not trying to be over dramatic here, but if Jesus was here tonight sitting in the pew, we all probably would have behaved a little differently than we already have. If he truly was, you know, physically sitting here amongst us, I can only imagine that we would. And yet he is. God is in our presence he is in our midst and we we need to be aware that he is there and he sees our thoughts and he sees our actions on sunday night we we're talking about bitterness and what bitterness does to you and and whether or not anyone else can see bitterness in you god sees it very clearly and uh without the holiness of god there'll be no revival <coughs> if we can come in here preaching and never ever have anything in our life to deal with we never need to go forward at an invitation and talk to God about something that the, the sermon preached on and it nailed and it hit on our issue then we're just real callous because there ain't nobody in here that's holy all the time including me there just isn't so there should always be a response to the word of God and the preaching of God and I appreciate that's why I appreciate so much that we can start this on Friday night with the hope ministry then Saturday morning with prayer but I want to encourage you to think about the fact that God would have us to be holy. Not holier than thou, but holy people, truly holy as God is holy. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, it's not just Old Testament stuff for Isaiah and Habakkuk. But in 1 Peter chapter number 1, it says in verse 15, but as he which hath called you, Let's start in verse 14. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. See, in the former past, in the time past, before you were saved, in the former life, there's probably stuff <coughs> that you did before you were saved. And the stuff that you did, it says in, in verse 14, in your ignorance. There's a lot of stuff that we 
do that we don't even know it's not a good thing. We don't even know God's offended by that until we start reading the Bible and we're like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even see that there. And of course, the Holy Spirit begins to live within you as soon as you're saved. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is very sensitive to sin. And so you're recognizing it more. And so it says in verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be, the, be holy in all manner of conversation, all manner of lifestyle, all manner of life, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God would have us to be holy people and to be right before him. And so there ought to be a sensitivity towards sin in our life. We ought to be sensitive because we know that we are in the presence of a holy God. And Habakkuk says, I know that you're the holy one. And he's talking to the holy God. Now notice this. If you have the right attitude about God, you're going to have the right attitude about yourself. Because the next point is a willingness to be reproved. A willingness to be reproved. Now raise your hand if you enjoy being reproved. It's just something that, you know, I got yelled at today. It was, it was, it was epic. You know, we just don't think that way. But look at chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. I'm waiting to hear what he's got to say and what I'm going to answer after he reproves me. He's waiting for the reproof. He knows he needs to be reproved. <coughs> wow. The prophet waited for God to reprove him. You know what I think is probably the most lousy times of my life since I've been a Christian? Feeling like God didn't spank me and I needed it. I want his reproof. I need his reproof. I need him to. I don't want to feel like, like he doesn't have time or I'm not as important to him as someone else. I want to be reproved. I don't. I have a need. I'm like Habakkuk. I'm praying for a need. But at the same time, I'm aware that probably I have more of a need than I even know I have a need. In other words, I got stuff in my life that I don't even know needs to be taken care of if I want to see this prayer answered. So none of us enjoy reproof, but we need to say, Lord, show me where I have sinned. See, in a, in a real revival, there's a willingness to be reproved. Instead of coming to the service like this, you know, I wonder if the pastor told him anything. Or... I dare you to try to preach to me, pal. That's not a willingness to be reproved. We, we should come with the desire. We should come with the reality. Okay, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. And I expect God through this preacher to t touch me and to preach to me, to get to me. I'm ready. And you know what I believe with all my heart? You pray before church starts. God, please reprove me in the areas I need reproved. You will be. But who's going to pray it? Habakkuk did. I'm standing and ready to listen. I want to know what you're going to I want to hear the reproof. <clears throat> I need the reproof. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 goes like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. And right before he said all that in verse 23 and 24... In verse 22, he was all wound up and, I hate those wicked people that do those wicked. Now listen, we, we, all of us can think of somebody that's terrible. And all of a sudden, at the end of Psalm 139, it was like the Holy Spirit said, okay, David, 
You've done a good job evaluating everybody else. But here's a mirror. And you know the Bible says the, that the Bible is like a mirror? Here's a mirror. And it was almost like David switched at the end of Psalm 139. And all of a sudden, instead of talking about all those terrible people out there, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Because even though I can point out certain issues in someone else, I got stuff in me that still needs searched out. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. Still going to be in Habakkuk when, when I'm done here, but talking about reproof. See, I, I read Proverbs every day of my growing up years. And so there's just a lot of these verses. I have them, I don't have them clearly memorized, but I have them vaguely memorized, and I know they're in there. <coughs> Let me read you these verses, and I want you to think about it. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. You know, it's pretty tough sometimes to, to, to try to reprove someone with love and compassion only to have them hate you more for doing so. And the Bible says a scorner will do that. But notice the second part. Rebuke, verse 8, a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, your response to reproof makes or breaks who you are. A wise man receives the reproof. A wise man receives the reproof even when it might not have been completely deserved. I remember my fifth and sixth grade teacher said something, and it's true, and I can't forget it. I was talking about it with somebody, I think it was last night. I think it was, I visited Gene and Larry, and they're getting better. I don't remember who for sure, but I think it was them. But I was saying something about how that my fifth and sixth grade teacher said, look, even if you got in trouble for something you didn't do, you just remember all the times you didn't get in trouble for something you did do. Yep. Yep. I mean, let's be honest. <clears throat> we, we all have gotten away with something, and yet we have the audacity to act like, how dare you, when the truth is, <laughs> how dare we pretend like we... I've always been clean. And uh, a wise man will accept the reproof and recognize there's probably something in it I need to learn. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for you to reprove me so that I can understand and I can answer correctly. A willingness to be reproved. Not upset because the preacher stepped on your toes. Not because, not upset because, you know, who told him about me? Nobody did. You just needed to hear it. Don't, don't be silly. This is your opportunity. Don't waste it. And then <clears throat> faith in God. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We, we sang it tonight. I think we did. Living by faith in Jesus alone. 
Living by faith, that's where that comes from. That verse is repeated several times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. We, we live by faith. We walk by faith. Habakkuk is about to see his beloved country, Judah, destroyed by Babylonians and, and, and captured and taken over. And it's, it's absolutely a heartbreak. It's just, it's, it's just awful. And yet he hasn't lost his faith in God. He's still going to trust God. The only way God's people can make it in a world where people are bent on vengeance and immorality is by faith in God. Trust the Lord. No matter what happens, no matter how awful things get, it's that little slogan I have on my, on my little sticky note by my desk. <clears throat> Live so close to the Lord that it just doesn't matter if things don't go your way. It's still going God's way. It's still going God's way. It's okay. I, I, by faith, I know God's in charge. And even if God <clears throat> seems to not be doing anything, he's not doing anything for a reason. And as it says in Daniel 7.25, which is the same era as this Habakkuk, wearing out the saints of the Most High. And boy, you just get so worn down and so, and so wore out sometimes. And things just seem to be more stressful all the time. But if nothing goes the way you expected it, you can still put your faith in God. You know that? And if you can't, there's something wrong. Because that means that you're living by circumstances and not by faith. See, Satan said that to, to, to God. He said, that guy Job only does what he does because you take care of him. And God said, watch. Go ahead and take from him all the things that you think make him loyal to me. And what God did was he allowed Satan to find out that Job had faith in God even when he was losing everything. And Job passed that test with pretty good flying colors, proving his trust in the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I'll still trust him. And God's designed the Christian life so that we live victoriously by faith in him, not because everything just works out for us well. That's the... Um, <coughs> that is the uh, uh, Joel Olstein Christianity. You serve God, he blesses you, and that's why you keep serving him. That doesn't, there's a lot more than just material blessings. Materialism doesn't make you happy and content. There are people who, who are not blessed materially, are not blessed with good health, and yet they have great faith and great peace with God. And so Habakkuk is learning to trust in God alone and have faith in him. And then chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2 is our kind of the, the theme verse that we started with, a prayer of Habakkuk, the, the prophet upon Shiganoth. And, and it was like a song. And uh, verse 2, it says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's looking around. He's seeing it about to be absolutely destroyed. And he's saying, oh, God, please revive. And God answered Habakkuk's prayer. And they eventually were revived as a, as a nation again. And Jesus was able to come into uh, Judah because it was restored. Prayer specifically for revival, praying for it. God, please work and intervene. Please do a work. Not just a general prayer, but a very specific prayer. Praying for individuals. If you're a parent with a wayward child, you're not just saying, God, please bless them. God, No, you're praying specific things. You're asking God to specifically do something. And maybe even you're asking God to wake them up or allow them to run into a big brick wall so that they will wake up. 
and see what they're doing. <clears throat> or maybe it's some other thing. Maybe it's a neighbor you're praying for, uh, for their salvation. Maybe it's it's a, a loved one like Karina is, is is trying to win her mother to the Lord right now. <clears throat> you're praying for something very specific. <coughs> it's it's not just because someone got saved, but because people are really changing and, and old hard hearts are getting right with, with God again and things are happening. And notice also the plea for mercy. Verse 2, in wrath, remember mercy. Notice Habakkuk did not say, God, change your mind about the wrath. I think Habakkuk was realizing that we deserve this. We deserve a good a good thumping and a spanking. We, we, but... But Lord, please have mercy on us. Praying for mercy is casting ourselves completely at God's feet. No other options, no, no hedging our bets. And our problem is pride. You know, pride is just the, the most disgusting and most rotten sin there is, and yet we all have it. And we can be proud of how good we are. We can be proud of how, how much good we do or how much good we think we do. And we can be proud of how humble we are. We can be proud of just about anything, it seems like. We can be proud of the fact that we're not the proudest person in the room. We can be proud that somebody else has pride and we can see it. Who knows? But we all got pride. And God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We sang it a little bit ago, Second Corinthians seven fourteen. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. A few years ago, I heard a politician quote that. <clears throat> he left out the humble part. If my people, which are called by my name, will pray and seek his face. I'm like, wait a minute. You forgot, I think, the most important ingredient. Humble yourselves and pray. First Peter, Second Peter 5, 6 and James 4 and verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace and mercy to the humble. It goes back to that truth and mercy thing. You get honest with God, and you can have mercy. But you have to be honest. Truth has to be acknowledged if you want the mercy of God. So a, a plea for the mercy of God, Lord, please help us. In wrath, remember mercy. Can I say it this way? Lord, in your judgment, leave the stump. And a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar was judged, and yet God left the stump in Daniel chapter 4 so that in mercy, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to learn from his pride so that he could be start over again and regrow. A plea for mercy. Lord, my child needs a big spanking, but in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, this person needed a wake-up call, but in wrath, remember mercy. And, and we ask God for, for mercy in, on our own selves and mercy on others. And that's part of revival too. And then notice at the end of chapter 3. This is how he ends it. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines... The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. So based on verse 17, it's just not a very good year. There just isn't anything. There's no pro production. There's no productivity. Nothing's going right. 
everything is just failing. And yet verse 18 says, yet. And Jada picked the song earlier, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It, it, it might be that you aren't going to answer my prayer right away and we're not going to see blessing and we're not going to see anything go right materially, humanly speaking, and I'm still going to rejoice. I'm not going to rejoice because I had a good year and then not rejoice when I had a bad year. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we're to be rejoicing even in tribulations. We're to be praising God even when there isn't something good happening. Wow. The yet is important. Even if I don't get what I'd rather have, yet that reveals who you really are. That reveals your heart. That reveals whether or not you can take rebuke and you can take reproof and you can take the bad times because you know that God's still there and there's a reason to rejoice. It isn't, well, God, if it, please help me to get through this. That's not the same as rejoicing through it. I, I appreciate your desire to just get through it, but we should learn to rejoice even when it's not wonderful and he found strength and joy in God in the midst of great trouble this is living in the yet I don't know because I wasn't there but when Nebuchadnezzar came in and Babylonia, Babylon took over and they took captives and we know they took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and a bunch of others and they take them back to Babylon and I, I'm imagining there's quite a few Jews saying this is awful, this is terrible this is terrible, this is terrible. And maybe, just maybe, there was a Habakkuk or someone there saying, but do you realize the opportunity we have? We're going to be like missionaries in Babylon. <clears throat> We're going to have opportunities to rejoice in the Lord and talk about God and prayer and, and praise him. And, and who knows what God can do? <clears throat> and who knows? But you know what happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, boom. They were told to bow down before. No, we're not doing that. So they got thrown in the fiery first. What did that do? That convinced the king that their God was greater. That wouldn't have happened if God had allowed them to just enjoy their freedom. That wouldn't have happened. And so yet, I will rejoice and I will joy in the God of my salvation. It doesn't matter what the news is telling me is terrible. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if gas is $10 a gallon. It doesn't matter. I can still rejoice in God. My, my, my God isn't based on circumstances. We must have the faith in God rather than worrying about everything in the world of being overcome with evil. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Pray specifically for revival and plead for mercy like that sinner, that publican in Luke chapter 18 who just prayed and bowed his head and beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to beg God for revival and then admit we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to even ask you for anything. But please, in mercy, help me. And then live in the yet, constantly rejoicing in the Lord, knowing that the Lord Jesus is enough. Young people, it would be awesome if some other young people realized, or if maybe they're already realizing it, but if some other young people realized that your happiness is not based on what you've got outwardly. Your happiness isn't based on <clears throat> whether you've got this or that or whatever. And, 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 and hopefully maybe one person, maybe one young person says, wow, 
I got way more of this and way more of that, and yet they rejoice all the time, and I never can. An old person in here, same thing. <clears throat> the doctor doesn't have a lot of answers. You got more aches and pains than you can remember, but you're rejoicing anyway. And the fig tree isn't going to blossom, and there's no fruit in the vines, and the fields aren't yielding any meat, and there's no herd in the stalls, and there's really nothing, humanly speaking, for people to rejoice, and yet you're rejoicing anyway. Right now, in my mind, I see the face of a lady that Janie knows, Jane Ann Seeley, was dying of cancer. She's in heaven now. What I have stuck in my brain for eternity <clears throat> is the smile on her face when we went to go visit her the last time. She's always a pleasant lady and always a smiling lady. Um, but when we went the last time, she looked like a skeleton with skin wrapped around her. She looked miserable except for her face. Because in her face, it was still yet. It was still, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. And she was. I'm sure even just staring at me and talking to me, she was in pain. But she still was rejoicing in the Lord. And this is how the, the book ends. The Lord God is my strength. Not circumstances. Not good health or freedom or whatever. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet, which means like the goats that can walk up and down the mountains. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. That's my song. No matter what, I'm going to praise him. And I think you will personally have revival when you can do that. If you'll follow some of those things that we've talked about tonight. Let's close in prayer. And let's pray that God would bring revival and that we would start to see ourselves getting changed and then our neighbors and friends and loved ones being changed that God would work through us and revive us Lord we thank you for your opportunity tonight help us to be revived help us to pray help us to come to this property this weekend and next week praying ahead of time and asking you to speak to us and asking you to reprove us on purpose and asking you to help us to prepare for a response to that reproval and that we would rejoice even if there isn't anything to rejoice in. That we would recognize the need for your mercy. And that we would beg and plead for your mercy on our loved ones and our friends around us. And that you would help us to be people that are revived. Lord, help us to have revival in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.